the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Is WWTC Minneapolis St. Paul FM 107.5 K298CO Minneapolis fueled by Lucky Station With SRN News I'm Gordon Griffin it is a Memorial Day tradition which began in 1988 this year Rolling Thunder the group that has organized the long running annual motorcycle ride into Washington that honors military members who are missing in action or prisoners of war is riding for the last time Military Affairs Analyst Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis says that Pentagon preparations began on Friday to receive this year's Rolling Thunder participants. Parking lots were cleared, all in preparation for receiving thousands of bikes as they arrive over the weekend and prepare for this memorial activity by all these mostly Vietnam veterans. The National Weather Service says that a tornado touched down in the Tulsa area overnight, damaging structures, uprooting trees, and toppling power lines. This is SRN News. Joe Walsh opposes a proposed new law. I got a real problem with the country that will allow an 18-year-old to put on a uniform and fight and die for that country, but that same country won't allow an 18-year-old to smoke a cigarette. I got a real problem with that. The Joe Walsh Radio Program, weeknights at 11 on AM 1280, The Patriot, Intelligent Radio. And you can embark on an extraordinary 10-day adventure through Israel with the Stand With Israel Tour. It's going on December 2nd through December 11th, and you get to explore the Galilee region, Jerusalem, and Tel Aviv, all while receiving expert insights on the land and historic sites from Dennis Prager and Mike Gallagher. Register for that today at am1280thepatriot.com. Highest 74 degrees today, sunny skies. It's lovely out there today. And we got the Victory Hour with special guest host Dan Rosen coming up in just a minute here on The Patriot. AM 1280, The Patriot. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head? Comb it over? Wear a hat? Just stop. This isn't 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration expert, can give you your real natural hair back permanently. They're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to everyone who texts SAVE22 to 85850. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. You wash it. You cut it. It's your own real, naturally growing hair. And the best part, Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let them show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text SAVE22 to 85850. That's S-A-V-E-22 to 85850. We can all agree that a good education benefits students, their family, and society as a whole. Education shapes your child into the person they will become. Join your local hosts, Rebecca Hagstrom and Mark Durkin, as they explore how to get the best education for your child while ensuring that the values you're teaching at home are being respected. From cursive to curriculum and everything in between, 
School is now in session. Education Nation, Saturdays at 6 p.m. on AM 1280, The Patriot. Varicose and spider veins. What a gift from my mom. She had them and I got them. Not only are they uncomfortable and sometimes painful, but I stopped wearing skirts and shorts because I was embarrassed and hated the way my legs looked. When my kids asked, what are those things on your legs? That was it. I finally went to Vein Clinics of America. The doctors at Vein Clinics of America have been treating vein disease for over 35 years. They're the largest and most experienced vein treatment center in the U.S. The best part is, Vein Clinics of America is coming to the Twin Cities this spring, and most insurance is accepted. So if you have tired, swollen, and painful legs, or suffer from embarrassing varicose and spider veins like I did, you can now get world-class treatment for your legs right here in the Twin Cities at Vein Clinics of America. To learn more about location openings, call 800-593-4411. 800-593-4411. That's 800-593-4411. Did you know that 81% of Americans have at least one social media profile on sites like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? 30% of consumers say they may not buy from a business without social media presence. I'm Nick Anderson, General Manager of Salem Media Group Twin Cities, and I want to introduce you to Salem Surround, the next generation answer to digital marketing for local businesses. Salem Surround can put your company in the middle of the conversation. Call Alyssa for more information at 651-289-4406. The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. It's time now for a smart plane talk regarding politics, Israel, and the law. This is the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker of Parker Daniels Keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. Now, here's your host, Andrew Parker. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections, and I follow his directions. Bernie knows his way around, and so I always do what Bernie recommends. It's the Victory Hour, Sunday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Reliably, you can be here. You can find my former partner, my very dear friend, Andy Parker, here. But unfortunately, today for you all, you will miss the dulcet tones of Mr. Parker. This is Dan Rosen sitting in for the great Andrew Parker. You know, there was a time when Andy and I both hosted this show together, and that uh, introductory song, My Attorney Bernie, uh, uh, is played uh, because I insisted that it be the opening song for our show. My favorite verse is the first you don't hear, uh, mainly because I was just talking over it. But uh, it really makes me think of Andy. It, uh, it says, I'm blessed by my attorney Bernie. I'm impressed with the way he runs the store. He's got Dodger season boxes and an office full of foxes. It's amazing all the av- all the things an average guy could use a lawyer for. Bernie tells me what to do. Bernie lays it on the line. Bernie says we sue, we sue. Bernie says we sign, we sign. Yes, that's Andy. That's Andy. Andy says we sign, we sign. Andy said, Dan, you come in and you host for me on Sunday afternoon. Then here I am. So thanks for being patient with me this week. This week, what we're going to do is a little bit of a departure, I think, from what Andy usually does. Uh, We're going to have a a talk about history. 
Uh, we're going to talk about history, uh, about something that I've been working on myself. I've been working on the the uh, working on writing a book. Now, usually I don't say it's a book. Usually I say it's a history project because I don't like to be so presumptuous as to think that um, people uh, people will actually read it. But uh, I am working on it, and it is serious. And lately I've been focusing on something that um, I think can really give us perspective for a lot of the events that are happening today. I've been focusing on um, our former president, Jimmy Carter. Uh, specifically, I've been focusing on Jimmy Carter's relationship with Israel, Israel's relationship with Jimmy Carter, his relationship with Prime Minister Menachem Begin, uh, and uh, the various other personalities that surrounded uh, that core relationship at a very important time in U.S.-Israel relations. But uh, the truth is, Jimmy Carter is a very complex character in our history, and uh, we can learn a lot from uh, his tenure as president. Now, many of you are thinking, uh, as soon as you hear the words Jimmy Carter, you, you, be, you instantly become hypercritical. And Jimmy Carter is not a person who tends to uh, uh, raise thoughts of tremendous admiration among conservative crowds. But before I get into the core of what it is that I, I want to talk about today, I do want to tell you that you cannot look at, at Carter in a, in a simple way. You cannot look at Carter in a simple way on, on, on the scale of conservative and liberal. Oh, sure, today, when you hear his pronouncements, today, 40 years after his having left office, uh, he tends to only espouse uh, not only a liberal line, but really more and more uh, what we would call a hard left line. That wasn't the case when he was the president. In fact, if you're a conservative, if you're a real conservative, you owe a real debt of gratitude to Jimmy Carter for some very, very important things that he accomplished. Now, again, let me tell you, I'm not an admirer of Jimmy Carter at all, but we're going to give credit where credit is due. That way, when we launch into some of the criticisms later this hour, um, hopefully they'll be more believable. Jimmy Carter, every time you get on an airplane in the United States today, you owe it to Jimmy Carter the fact that the fare that you're paying to fly from here to Miami or here to Los Angeles is far, far, far less than the fare you paid in 1979 or 1978 in controlled dollars and dollars controlled for inflation. Far, far, far less expensive because Jimmy Carter was the principal engine behind the deregulation of the airline industry. When you order a package on Amazon today, when you order a package on Amazon and you're able to get it cheaper or almost as cheap or as cheap as you can get it by going down to the store or walking to Target or, 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 or going to the clothing store, when you can get it that cheap, you owe it to Jimmy Carter because but for Jimmy Carter – we would not have had the deregulation of the trucking industry and of the railroad industry. Uh, we, would not have, we would not have the highly competitive and therefore very low-priced uh, cost of delivering goods on the ground uh, across America or in the air across America. Uh, the truth is it's really hard to point uh, to a president who had more conservative accomplishments than Jimmy Carter uh, over the previous 50 years. 
very, very hard to point to it because it's really hard to imagine a president who caused a greater amount of deregulation in our industry. One of the things that whether you like him or you deride him, one of the things that we're all grateful to Donald Trump for now uh, are some of the things that he's doing in the field of deregulation. My friends, what Donald Trump is doing in deregulation, what Donald Trump is doing in, in, in undoing many of the unnecessary regulations that have come down the pike over the last decade is nothing compared to the deregulation that Jimmy Carter did. So when we look back, it's important that we take a nuanced view of people in history. Now, it's also important that we do that because if today we're going to look and talk about conservatives and talk about liberals, we need to understand that there was a time that liberal in this country actually still had you believe in certain in things that we consider to be core conservative principles today. That shows you how far apart we have drifted. Now, I think I and most people who listen to this program may believe uh, that that shows more than anything else how far the other side has drifted away. I think that's true. It, it is more reflective of how far the other side has drifted away rather than how far our side has perhaps drifted from principles. Uh, but that deregulation could not occur unless there was a broad agreement between Republicans in the Congress and Democrats in the Congress and the Democrat that sat in the White House, the liberal Democrat that sat in the White House. And so today, when we are having our political discourse and we are hearing about uh, the people that we disagree with, um, I think we can all have a tinge of regret about the fact that Republicans won't talk to Democrats and won't make deals with Democrats in the Congress and Democrats won't make deals with Republicans in the Congress because neither side wants to give the other side a victory and both side is only concerned about winning the next election. Both side is concerned about appealing to the base and both side is concerned with being able to bludgeon Nancy Pelosi or to bludgeon Donald Trump depending on the side that you're on. And as long as that's happening and they won't do anything together, then my friends, what happens is the left wins. My conservative friends out there, if we aren't able to make deals with the Democrats, the left, the far left wins. Why? Because the regulatory state, the agency state, the bureaucratic state, the, gro the growing government just grows inexorably if we don't do the things from time to time that stop it and pull it back. And my friends, what the president has done with regard to the turning back of some regulations is nothing compared to the constant flow, the constant rising tide of regulation that is taking over this country and that no Republican president can keep up with as long as the Republicans in Congress and the Democrats in Congress can't make a deal. Now that's all a preface to what we're going to be talking about the rest of this hour. Come back. It's the Victory Hour. AM 1280, The Patriot. Is a verbal contract really only as good as the paper it's written on? This is Andrew Parker from the Parker Daniels Keyboard Law Firm. I recently represented a client in a claim for unpaid compensation. 
He was promised payment of $1.8 million in bonuses. His employer refused to pay, citing no written contract. We went to work. After investigation and litigation, we won the case and recovered $2.3 million for our client. Our experienced trial lawyers at Parker Daniels Keyboard have secured major victories in state and federal courts across the country. We have legal expertise in all types of business disputes, labor and employment matters, real estate matters, and financial transactions and appeals. For wise counsel and winning results, contact us at Parker Daniels Keyboard a premier law firm that provides efficient, aggressive, and innovative solutions to complex legal problems. Go to ParkerDK.com. If it was 1990, you'd be listening to your favorite radio station on a bulky boombox that burns through D batteries faster than you can say, you've got mail. Thankfully, it's the 21st century, and there are much better alternatives. For example, just ask Alexa to tune in. Alexa, play the Patriot Minneapolis. It's time to throw out that old beeper and get with the times. Listen to your favorite AM 1280 The Patriot hosts in high quality with Alexa and Amazon Echo. He arrived right at noon to get the toilet in shape when all of a sudden their dog Hershey escaped and rather than stand there flat on his feet he set down his tools and chased her down the street. He's your Benjamin Franklin plumber and he's a true legend. 952-933-8888 Save $200 on water heaters. Dogs love warm baths too. Did your employer make you sign a promissory note when joining the company, and now you want to leave but you're afraid your firm will pursue you personally for that debt? This is Jesse Keyboard from the law firm Parker Daniels Keyboard. I recently represented a client who had signed such a note, and I was able to get them out of their $500,000 debt to their company, which allowed them the freedom to exit a bad employment situation and enter a much better one. Meeting our clients' objectives is our focus at Parker Daniels Keyboard, and in this regard, we win. Our experienced trial team of lawyers at Parker Daniels Keyboard have secured major victories in state and federal courts across the country and through arbitration. We have the legal expertise in all types of business disputes, labor and employment matters, real estate matters, shareholder disputes, financial transactions, security issues, and appeals. For wise counsel winning results, contact us at Parker Daniels Keyboard, a premier litigation law firm that provides efficient, aggressive, and innovative solutions to complex legal problems. Wise counsel winning results. Go to ParkerDK.com. It's the Victory Hour. Welcome back. This is Dan Rosen sitting in for the great Andrew Parker. And you're hearing the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones, that could be the theme song for Andrew Parker. Start me up. You start me up. I'll never stop. But Andrew isn't here this weekend. Andrew is on vacation. Andrew is on a meditative vacation. And here it's Dan Rosen sitting in for him. And so you'll have to be tolerant this hour. This hour, we're talking about Jimmy Carter, his role in history, and we're going to be talking about Jimmy Carter's role, uh, particularly in the history of the development of U.S. and Israel relations, uh, in the development of the history of the modern history of the Middle East. 
And uh, if you want to join the conversation, call 651-289-4488, 651-289-4488. I would love for you to call in. We'll be happy to have you on the air, and we'll talk further about Jimmy Carter. I'd love to hear what you think, why you love him, why you hate him. Now, in the last segment, I told you why it is that conservatives owe a debt of gratitude to Jimmy Carter, because Jimmy Carter actually had some of the most important conservative accomplishments in the last half century as president. But, you know, the truth is the debt of gratitude only should go uh, so far, because when it comes to shepherding uh, the United States through a dangerous world, uh, Jimmy Carter uh, was not an effective leader. Jimmy Carter set our cause back. And I think nowhere can we find a better example of his having set our cause back um, than in the Middle East. Now, what do I mean by this? You know, some people look back, whether you're an admirer or a detractor of President Carter, you go back and you look and you say, well, you know, you got to give him credit for the Camp David peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. And you know, that treaty is very, very important in history. I will explain in a moment why you need to question seriously uh, the amount of credit that President Carter ought to get for it. But uh, what cannot be doubted uh, is that that treaty was a critical development in the Middle East. It was very, very good for the United States. It was very, very good for Israel. And it was very, very good for Egypt. That's a treaty that the president of Egypt was murdered over two years after signing it. But what? But that treaty, despite that, uh, despite the revolution, the, the, Islam, the Muslim Brotherhood revolution that occurred in Egypt uh, earlier in this decade, despite 40 years of upheaval, 40 years of undulations, uh, that treaty has held. And some may say that that treaty is stronger than ever today, giving Israel uh, and its land peace on its southern border, on the border with its most populous neighbor, and on the border with what has always been its most powerful neighbor as well. Now, and taking away the threat from Egypt or dramatically reducing by by dramatically reducing the threat from Egypt it has allowed Israel to focus on the other existential threats that it has uh from just about every other direction uh, and the value of that treaty to Israel has been absolutely tremendous over the years now to the extent that president carter helped deliver that we owe a debt of gratitude there as well but one of the things that becomes clear as one studies, as I've been doing for my book, uh, that uh, as one studies President Carter's role uh, in those discussions, you start to come to an understanding uh, that the Camp David Peace Treaty was uh, arrived at between Israel and Egypt, was arrived at between Menachem Begin and his government on the one hand and Anwar Sadat on the other hand, despite President Carter, far more than because of President Carter. What becomes clear is something very, very interesting. So bear with me here as I tell you a little bit about the history of how it is that Israel and Egypt came together at Camp David, how it is that they reached their critical peace treaty, and how it is that President Carter stood in its way far more than, he, than it was that he shepherded it to completion. 
So what happens is this. President Carter comes into office in January of 1977. He had, uh, up until then, very, very little experience. In fact, one can say no meaningful experience with dealing with American policy beyond its borders. Yes, he had been a United States naval officer back in the 50s, uh, and he was a nuclear engineer, and he uh, did some important things in helping develop uh, the United States nuclear navy. But of course, that's not a matter of actual international relations. That's a matter that has its effect on international relations, and we're grateful to him for his service. Uh, but that isn't something that actually brought him knowledge of how it is that you interact with foreign leaders. That isn't actually something that brought him any, uh, any knowledge of uh, the cultures that a president of the United States has to deal with. After being a naval officer, President Carter went and he became a peanut warehouseman and a peanut farmer. And uh, I don't diminish the importance of that business experience one bit. It was very important. President Carter, by all accounts, was uh, effective at it, uh, and he should be given credit for that. Then President Carter becomes the governor of Georgia, very important executive position. But there's really nothing about being a peanut warehouseman in southern Georgia. There's really nothing about being a peanut farmer in Georgia and nothing about being the governor of Georgia that gives you experience uh, in the sorts of dealings that you have to have with foreign leaders as president. When he comes in to the presidency, Jimmy Carter comes in and he notes in his diaries in a very revealing entry very early on in his tenure in the White House, Carter notes in his diary that he had taken a trip with his wife to Israel in 1972, and on that trip, he made what he calls an intensive study of the affairs of the region. Now, that, my friends, by all I can find in any historical record, is the extent of the experience that President Carter brought to Arab-Israeli relations when he comes into office. Now, when he comes into office, he has a mission. His mission is that he is going to convene a peace conference of Israel and all of the Arab countries, all of the Arab belligerents, which is everybody in the Arab world, all of the Arab belligerents in Geneva under the auspices of the United States and that wonderfully constructive country, the Soviet Union. He's going to bring them all there with the United States and the Soviet Union as co-chairman, and he's going to deliver this comprehensive peace. For a year, uh, almost a year, uh, President Carter is laboring toward wanting to have this Geneva Peace Conference, which nobody else wants. None of the players are particularly interested in a Geneva Peace Conference, all for their various reasons. Now, what happens, however, is because the president of the United States has the ability to have influence on other countries, he starts to make a little bit of progress toward this. And Anwar Sadat looks at this and he says, no, wait a minute. I don't want a Middle East peace conference of all of these countries. I want peace with Israel. And of course, Israel wanted peace with Egypt. These countries both deeply. No, let's not say these countries. Egypt was a one-man dictatorship. Anwar Sadat wanted peace with, Egypt, with Israel. On, even Anwar Sadat's closest aides weren't particularly interested in peace with Israel, with, with Israel. So Anwar Sadat, on the one hand, wants peace with Israel. Israel as a country, as a democratic country that elected leaders and elected prime ministers, had an elected prime minister, elected defense minister, elected foreign minister, elected every kind of minister, an elected a universal 
parliament, the Knesset, with 120 members, all of them wanted peace with Egypt. They want this peace. And both of these two parties that want to make peace with each other, Israel and its most powerful Arab adversary, both of these two parties understand that if they go to Geneva, it's going to be harder and it's not going to be easier. Why? Uh, because all of the other Arab countries have their own agendas. Mo- many of these Arab countries don't have any interest in making peace. All of those at that time did not have any interest in making peace with Israel at all. They're going to be coming to Geneva trying to make it hard on Sadat. Israel, of course, understands that they're only going to be ganged up on. And Sadat had the other interest. He had just kicked the Soviet Union out of Egypt, and now Jimmy Carter is telling him that he wants the Soviet Union to be there supervising the peace treaty that Anwar Sadat wants to be negotiating with the state of Israel. Well, this was not a very happy recipe for accomplishing peace in the Middle East. Uh, The relevant leaders, the leaders who actually wanted to accomplish it, Sadat and Begin, understood this. And so Sadat and Begin begin to uh, explore relationships, explore diploma, explore through diplomatic channels how it is that they can come together and reach an agreement. They do it through the King of Morocco and they do it through the President of Romania. They go and there are secret meetings between uh, uh, Sadat's head of intelligence and the head of the Israeli Mossad in Morocco. They do it by Sadat and Begin separately meeting with the President of Romania, Nicolae Ceausescu, who he was the the one country in the Iron Curtain that maintained relationships uh, with Israel. And through these, they start to come to some common understanding of what could create the basis for the beginnings of public discussions between the two countries. Now, the United States, of course, has some intelligence capability about this. They detect it happening. And what we can see from the accounts of the Carter administration, both from President Carter himself and from the close aides who have all written about it, Uh, is they didn't like this idea because if Egypt and Israel were actually to come together on their own, that would then defeat their idea of the grand Middle East peace that they envisioned coming out of a Geneva peace conference under the co-supervision of the United States and the Soviet Union. It would take away from Carter the ability to say, look what I have done together with the Soviet Union. Carter, it would take away uh, from Carter the ability to say, I have delivered this peace. The implications of that we'll talk about when we come back. One, by the way, should not take as an indicator of my view of President Carter uh, the fact that we are now about to play Sympathy for the Devil as we go out. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. AM1280, The Patriot. How can you protect your company's most valuable proprietary information? This is Andrew Parker of the Parker Daniels Keyboard Law Firm. We recently represented a local manufacturing company in an employment lawsuit. Our client learned that a longtime employee was leaving the company to join a direct competitor. The employee intended to help the competitor develop an automated manufacturing system that was a copy of our client's system. The employee did not have a non-compete agreement with our client. We nonetheless filed suit and brought an immediate motion to prevent the employee from beginning work with the competing company. We won, and the employee was prohibited from working for the competitor. Parker Daniels Keyboard's attorneys have been advising companies on employment law matters for decades. And if you find yourself in court, our attorneys are some of the toughest and most experienced employment trial lawyers around. 
For wise counsel and winning results, contact us at Parker Daniels Keyboard. Go to parkerdk.com. Message and data rates may apply. Please don't text while driving. If you've been in business more than 20 minutes, you've probably printed your logo on all kinds of promotional products. We all know logos work because they're on everything from the top of skyscrapers to the bottom of shoes. Ever wondered why or how to best use your logo to grow your business? Let us show you today for free. We're 4imprint, promotional product experts at your service. We're giving away the latest issue of Amplify, the digital magazine that reveals promotional product success stories absolutely free to everyone who texts WOW11 to 88988. At 4imprint, we make your logo look perfect on thousands of promotional items. With our 100% guarantee, it'll be right the first time, on time, every time. Your free e-magazine will reveal invaluable insights that can attract new customers, build your brand, and grow your business. Get the latest issue of Amplify absolutely free by texting WOW11 to 88988. That's WOW11 to 88988. Is a verbal contract really only as good as the paper it's written on? This is Andrew Parker from the Parker Daniels Keyboard Law Firm. I recently represented a client in a claim for unpaid compensation. He was promised payment of $1.8 million in bonuses. His employer refused to pay, citing no written contract. We went to work. After investigation and litigation, we won the case and recovered $2.3 million for our client. Our experienced trial lawyers at Parker Daniels Keyboard have secured major victories in state and federal courts across the country. We have legal expertise in all types of business disputes, labor and employment matters, real estate matters, and financial transactions and appeals. For wise counsel and winning results, contact us at Parker Daniels Keyboard, a premier law firm that provides efficient, aggressive, and innovative solutions to complex legal problems. Go to parkerdk.com. It's the Victory Hour, and I'm sure that song expresses all of your sentiments. None of you can get satisfaction because Andrew Car- because Andrew Parker is off today, and you've got Dan Rosen sitting in for him. But I'm going to do my best to give you satisfaction today. Going to do my very best. We've been talking. We've been taking... Uh, a history lesson today, and we've been talking about Jimmy Carter, and we've been talking about some of his accomplishments, and we've been talking about – right now we're talking about something and perhaps the biggest thing that may have happened during the Carter administration, uh, which I think uh, reasonable people can argue about whether or not it was actually an accomplishment of Carter or whether it was an accomplishment of Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat that occurred despite Jimmy Carter and not because of him. So we're talking about the Camp David Peace Accords. We've been talking about the lead-up to it. We've been talking about how President Carter uh, did not uh, want uh, an Arab-Israeli uh, peace to be brought about through direct treaty between Israel and Egypt. He instead wanted there to be a grand peace conference that would lead to a comprehensive peace. Uh, 
But of course, the players, the players that were actually prepared to make agreements, Israel and Anwar Sadat of Egypt at the time, understood that a grand peace conference was unlikely to lead to peace, was likely to be counterproductive to the cause, because all of the other Arab countries that were going to be present had an agenda other than peace with Israel, and because President Carter wanted the Soviet Union to co-chair this conference, and the Soviet Union, Anwar Sadat knew well, and Menachem Begin knew well, were not constructive players in the region. Now, how did they know this? It's actually important to understand this because it's actually important to understand that both Sadat and Begin, although presidents, well, Begin a prime minister, although the leaders of countries far smaller than the United States had a far, far more sophisticated understanding of the Soviet Union than Jimmy Carter did. Of course, Anwar Sadat had an understanding of the Soviet Union and how the Soviet Union dealt with its client states because Anwar Sadat came into the presidency of Egypt after the death of his predecessor, Nasser. Egypt was a client state of the Soviet Union, and Sadat saw how Egypt subjugated, excuse me, how the Soviet Union subjugated Egypt, how the Soviet Union took advantage of Egypt but did not reciprocate well, and how the Soviet Union tried to control uh, or at least have very strong influence in the internal affairs of Egypt. Sadat didn't like it, did not think it was going to be productive in the long term. Sadat understood it is far better for a country to be a friend of the United States in this world than the friend of the Soviet Union. And so he breaks off, he kicks the Soviet Union out. Sadat understood the nature of the Soviet Union and its dealings with smaller countries. Menachem Begin, of course, was a prisoner of the Soviet Union. Menachem Begin was actually in the Soviet Gulag, a prisoner there. Uh, in uh, the early 1940s uh, during World War II until he was freed and, uh, uh, and made his way uh, to the land of Israel shortly after being freed. Uh, but Menachem Begin uh, understood quite well what a communist government was about, what a communist government's agenda was, and how the, the communist empire of the Soviet Union was not going to be a constructive force toward a Middle East peace. So they want to come together. They are exploring their ways separately through Morocco and Romania, as we spoke about before. President Carter doesn't really like it, but he realizes he's got to either join it or uh, have it happen without him. So uh, one thing leads to another, and uh, they all come together in Camp David. Now, I just fast-forwarded over a year, and it's a very, very important year, but we only have an hour. So they're there in Camp David, and uh, what is interesting is the utter lack of perspective. I told you before, Carter really didn't understand um, foreign relations very well. He really did not understand the people that he was dealing with. His diary is one of the most instructive books of history that anybody can read, and I strongly recommend to all of you listening that you read the published diaries of Jimmy Carter because it really shows you how thoroughly unequipped Carter was to be president when you read what it is that he says about some of the foreign leaders that he met. First of all, he meets Yitzhak Rabin. He says Rabin was timid and stubborn and ill at ease. Now, it is true that Rabin could come off that way, but obviously Carter couldn't see past the superficial uh, because uh, history has shown uh, the depths of Rabin's strength and of his personality. But, you know, if you really want to know how Begin could misconceive the people that he was meeting with, 
he he meets with Hafez al-Assad and writes about how he liked his sense of humor. Of Assad, he says, and we grant, Assad isn't the world's greatest guy in the world. Assad, by the way, Hafez al-Assad, the, the father of the current president of Syria, the current president of Syria is a bloody guy. He's got nothing on his father. His father... His father also used chemical weapons on his own people. His father was a terribly, terribly bloody guy. One would imagine that as president of the United States, Carter already knew this. And so Carter says, Assad is the worst of the Arabs, he writes. But then he writes, but better than the Israelis. He talks about how he makes and it's really remarkable that he actually published this. The fact that Carter publishes a diary entry that says this, what I'm about to tell you, is really, really remarkable. But he talks about how uh, he and Assad made a deal, or the United States and Assad made a deal, that would allow Syrian Jews who were terribly, terribly oppressed by the Syrian government who would allow Syrian Jews to send some 100 young Syrian Jewish women to America in order to help them find uh, Jewish husbands, in order to be able to get married and to be able to have families. And Carter makes a joke about how when some of the women who uh, uh, were unsuccessful in uh, finding somebody to marry and under the agreement with Syria had to be sent back to the United States, Carter talks about how he and Assad joked about how the returning Jews apparently preferred Syria over the United States. He makes this joke even understanding the type of individual, well, supposedly understanding the type of individual that he's dealing with. Now, when you have a president who so thoroughly misconceives of the people that he's dealing with, now you can start to understand the context in which Sadat and Begin and Carter came together at Camp David. Carter, uh, uh, remember, by the way, uh, the irony of this is just absolutely unbelievable, because remember that Jimmy Carter prided himself on being the, uh, to his mind, the first pro-human rights American president. To his mind, he was bringing human rights or making human rights the highest priority in American foreign policy. My friends, Anybody who tells you that that's the case has it flatly wrong. There are some instances in which President Carter put human rights at a high priority, but those instances actually are fewer, few and far between when you look at the other examples of the leaders that President Carter uh, was prepared to support. And uh, when you really look at the Middle East and you see the way that President Carter described leaders of the Middle East, then you really start to understand uh, that President Carter's words about human rights really were unmatched by action. One questions whether they are matched by an understanding uh, as well or whether he really was uh, failing to understand the true nature of the people that he's dealing with. Now, why is all that important? Because Carter and Begin come together uh, at Camp David with President Carter. Now, what is the situation here? Israel simply wants to be at peace with Egypt. Israel simply wants enforceable, guaranteed, reliable commitments from Egypt 
that Egypt is going to stop trying to destroy Israel. Egypt, a country far, far bigger geographically, far, far bigger by population, the most, pop, uh, the most powerful of all of the Arab countries, had gone to war multiple times against Israel, multiple times, always vowing to push the Jews into the sea. Uh, all Israel wants is reliable, enforceable, guaranteed peace agreement. Reliable, enforceable promises Egypt's going to stop trying to kill Israel. Now, what does Egypt want? Egypt wants land from Israel. Now, of course, it is land. It is Egyptian land, land that Israel conquered in a war, a war of self-defense to be sure, but that they, that they conquered in a war uh, against Egypt. And so Egypt is there wanting to get its land. Now, think about this and understand. So what is happening in this negotiation? Israel is making all of the concessions. Israel is conceding land. Israel is conceding its security. Israel is conceding, by the way, oil independence because the land that they would be turning over to Egypt uh, had oil supplies sufficient to supply Israel with all of its energy needs. Israel would be going from oil independence to complete oil dependence. Israel would be making all of the concessions. Egypt would be doing all of the receiving. We'll find out when we come back from the break how it is that President Carter dealt with this inequality. It's the victory hour. Come on back. AM1280, The Patriot. Did your employer make you sign a promissory note when joining the company, and now you want to leave but you're afraid your firm will pursue you personally for that debt? This is Jesse Keyboard from the law firm Parker Daniels Keyboard. I recently represented a client who had signed such a note, and I was able to get them out of their $500,000 debt to their company, which allowed them the freedom to exit a bad employment situation and enter a much better one. Meeting our clients' objectives is our focus at Parker Daniels Keyboard, and in this regard, we win. Our experienced trial team of lawyers at Parker Daniels Keyboard have secured major victories in state and federal courts across the country and through arbitration. We have the legal expertise in all types of business disputes, labor and employment matters, real estate matters, shareholder disputes, financial transactions, security issues, and appeals. For wise counsel, winning results, contact us at Parker Daniels Keyboard, a premier litigation law firm that provides efficient, aggressive, and innovative solutions to complex legal problems. Wise counsel, winning results. Go to ParkerDK.com. Come on into the Rack Shack's new Egan location and wrap your taste buds around the Patriot Burger. Nick Anderson, General Manager of AM1280 The Patriot, here with Keith Hitner Sr. from the Rack Shack Barbecue. How are you liking that new Egan location? Oh, man, Egan is wonderful. We have so much more space and a dynamic center that allows us to better serve our in-store customer as well as our catering clients. You know, Keith, our listeners love the Patriot Burger almost as much as the Patriot. It's a brisket and chuck half-pound burger that's red, white, and blue through and through America cheese on top and the American flag proudly flies out of the top of the bun. The Patriot Burger comes with your choice of any of our sides, like our famous hand-cut fries, all just for $12.80. Get it? $12.80? Best burger in the USA. You really have to try today at the Rack Shack Barbecue's new Egan location. We're just a mile east of Cedar Avenue on Cliff Road in the heart of Cedar Cliff Center. You'll love our new digs. Come and see us today or join us at RackShackBarbecue.com. Rack Shack Barbecue, How can you protect your company's most valuable proprietary information? This is Andrew Parker of the Parker Daniels Keyboard Law Firm. 
We recently represented a local manufacturing company in an employment lawsuit. Our client learned that a longtime employee was leaving the company to join a direct competitor. The employee intended to help the competitor develop an automated manufacturing system that was a copy of our client's system. The employee did not have a non-compete agreement with our client. We nonetheless filed suit and brought an immediate motion to prevent the employee from beginning work with the competing company. We won, and the employee was prohibited from working for the competitor. Parker Daniels Keyboard's attorneys have been advising companies on employment law matters for decades. And if you find yourself in court, our attorneys are some of the toughest and most experienced employment trial lawyers around. For wise counsel and winning results, contact us at Parker Daniels Keyboard. Go to parkerdk.com. Welcome back to the Victory Hour. It's Dan Rosen sitting in for Andrew Parker. I know many of you would turn it on, and and this Stone song makes you feel exactly how you're feeling. You hear it's Rosen instead of Parker. You want to take the red door and paint it black. Well, it's me, and we're going to talk for a few more minutes, and we're going to carry on our discussion about the Camp David peace accords between Israel and Egypt, and we're going to talk about whether or not Jimmy Carter was its midwife, whether Jimmy Carter was its shepherd, or uh, whether Jimmy Carter uh, was uh, simply the dam uh, over which the water had to flow. So what we talked about before is, as we were leading into the, as we were leading into the, the break, is how it is that Carter uh, viewed the parties here. And so, first of all, we have a circumstance in which he seems to take a very, very favorable view of all of the Arab players in the game, even when it came to Hafez al-Assad. His view, uh, despite the fact, despite the monster that Assad was, uh, Carter found Assad to be a person that he could joke with and found out and found Assad to be a person who was, and this is in Carter's own words, that Carter published better than the Israelis. So that tells you something about where we're at. We also talked about the fact that coming into Camp David, only one party was making concessions. One party was all the other party had to do was say, fine, no more war. Israel is coming in, making every concession. Israel is conceding economically. Israel is conceding politically. Israel is conceding militarily. Israel is conceding its uh, security needs. Israel is conceding its land. Israel is conceding areas in which uh, Jews chose to live, where the Egyptians said no Jew may be permitted to live in the Sinai Peninsula. Jimmy Carter endorsed, by the way, this idea that the Sinai Peninsula should be a place completely free of Jews. Israel had to give up. Israel was being asked to even give up on the right of a Jew to be able to live there. Uh, in a particular in a in, in in a particular location, Israel was being asked for every concession. Israel was the giver on everything. 
all Egypt had to do was receive, and all Egypt had to do was say, fine, we won't go to war to destroy you again. It's in that context that Carter, over and over, we can see it in Carter's writings, we can see it in Carter's statements to others, we can see it in all of the accounts of all of the, of the participants at Camp David. Uh, we can see that despite that, Carter viewed the Israelis as the party unwilling to make concessions. No, let me put it better. He viewed the Egyptians as the party prepared to make concessions, the party making concessions over and over, and the Israelis as the intransigent party. Now, this understanding this perspective, understanding that the party that only has to receive and only has to say, I will not destroy you, is a party making a concession, one does have to look, and when you're examining the perspective of the president in that case, you have to say to yourself, well, what really is the perspective on right and wrong that he takes? What really is the perspective on American interests that he brings into this if he would say that the party that only is receiving is the party that's making concessions and the party, the true reliable American friend that is Israel, that is conceding on all areas and has already made concessions in all of these areas is somehow the intransigent party, one does have to ask whether or not under those circumstances Carter is, uh, the, is, is, is causing this peace treaty to happen or he's getting in the way of this peace treaty to happen. The picture that one really starts to understand, if you really study in depth uh, what happened, if you look at the presidential papers, if you look at the, the, the published works of the participants, what you really start to understand is Egypt was prepared to make an agreement with Israel. It had only two conditions. One, it must get all of the Sinai Peninsula back. And two, it must have something in it so that Sadat could say, I made sure that Israel made concessions with regard to the rights of the Palestinian Arabs. Something. How much? Sadat wasn't particularly concerned. He had to have something. The one who really made, by the way, so they're at Camp David for 13 days. They could have been there in, for two days if it was just going to be an agreement between Israel and Egypt. They could have been there for just two days if Jimmy Carter would have simply let Anwar Sadat accept that which Menachem Begin was offering, which Sadat was prepared, I believe, to accept. But Sadat then sees that to Carter, an agreement that included far more, much more far-reaching provisions for the Palestinian Arabs than Sadat was ever seeking, Sadat now sees that Carter is also there able to deliver for Sadat or hoping to deliver for Sadat the ability to say that Sadat was able to do much more for the Palestinian Arabs. It was not Sadat's objective. It was Jimmy Carter's objective. And because it was Jimmy Carter's objective, the Camp David conference lasted for 13 days and not two or three days. It's a very, very interesting thing in history. And when you look and you see the frustrations and the difficulties uh, in, in every account that comes out of the Camp David Accords, the frustrations and the difficulties are all frustrations of Carter with Begin. We really don't see, except for a couple of little shows, a frustration by Sadat at Begin. Yes, Sadat 
uh, Sadat, you know, refers to him as that man, wouldn't refer to him necessarily by name and didn't really like to meet with him. But uh, the truth is uh, that Sadat also at one point in Camp David told President Carter, whatever you can get for me at this point, I'm going to accept. But despite that, Jimmy Carter kept pressing on and frankly endangering to some extent and really threatening Menachem Begin, the prime minister of Israel, uh, threatening the withdrawal of American friendship for uh, Israel and American support for Israel if Israel didn't make certain concessions that President Carter wanted and that were far, far less important for uh, Anwar Sadat. It's very, very fascinating circumstances. It's very, very fascinating discussions. I recommend to uh, all of you that you read the White House Diaries, that you read a really wonderful, relatively recent book come out uh, that, that came out uh, uh, last year in 2018 called President Carter, uh, The White House Years by Stuart Eisenstadt. Stuart Eisenstadt was a very, very, a very senior aide of President Carter. His portfolio was really in domestic policy, uh, but he was there and present at Camp David um, and uh, had a, uh, and was intimately involved in all of those discussions. Very, very fascinating discussions, and you really will take a new perspective, and it'll make you wonder when you go to the Carter Museum uh, at the Jimmy Carter Library in Atlanta and you see uh, the exhibit on uh, the Camp David Peace Accords and uh, and in which Carter is giving credit, given credit for bringing uh, these two adversaries together, you really should go. You should look at it with a healthy dose of skepticism. I, I must say, now, it is important to look at things in a balanced way. And it is important to say that Jimmy Carter was there. It is and and and. And it is important to understand that only the American president, that is the American president, whoever it may have been, did have to be involved in those negotiations. Both uh, both Sadat and Begin felt that way. Carter needed to be involved. So one might say that Carter was given some license uh, to be able to achieve his own objectives that he had, objectives that I do believe he honestly believed were in the interest of the United States. And of course, he's the president. He has to deliver the interests of the United States. But any reading of this history should cause you to go back, reevaluate that. Oh, there's so much more to be said about Jimmy Carter, so much more to be said uh, about his relationship with Israel, so much more to go back and look again at with regard to Jimmy Carter. Was he really the deliverance of peace between Israel and Egypt? Was he really the solid liberal that we seem to remember him as, that he wants to be remembered as, or did he in fact deliver real conservative results with massive deregulations in the American economy? All of it re deserves going back and looking again. You've been listening to The Victory Hour with Andrew Parker of Parker Daniels Keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. For more information, go to parkerdk.com. Until next time, he leaves you with these words from Winston Churchill. All the great things are simple, and many can be expressed in a single word. Freedom, justice, honor, duty, mercy, and hope. AM 1280, The Patriot. Message and data rates may apply. Please don't text while driving. If you've been in business more than 20 minutes, you've probably printed your logo on all kinds of promotional products. We all know logos work. 
Because they're on everything from the top of skyscrapers to the bottom of shoes. Ever wondered why or how to best use your logo to grow your business? Let us show you today for free. We're 4imprint, promotional product experts at your service. We're giving away the latest issue of Amplify, the digital magazine that reveals promotional product success stories absolutely free to everyone who texts WOW11 to 88988. At 4imprint, we make your logo look perfect on thousands of promotional items. With our 100% guarantee, it'll be right the first time, on time, every time. Your free e-magazine will reveal invaluable insights that can attract new customers, build your brand, and grow your business. Get the latest issue of Amplify absolutely free by texting WOW11 to 88988. That's W-O-W-1-1 to 88988. AM 1280. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.